Good day, and welcome to Far Reaches. We are four people from similar parts of the world who have wound up chasing different dreams and living different lives. We are Richard, Raleigh, Joel, and Micah. Richard and Micah are from Southeast Oregon, from two small ranching communities known as Pine Creek and Plush. Raleigh and Joel are from Northeast Oregon, from the Pendleton area. We met through college, mutual friends, and heard of stories of each other. Somehow wound up being at the same place at the same time. See, we live and work in different parts of the U.S. now and have all taken different paths to get to where we are. We all talk separately and live far apart. So we decided we should try and talk more together. We hope you come along and enjoy. Greetings, salutations. Guess what? How your mom and them? Hey, you sons of bitches, we're back. Well, three of us anyways. I think Rawls is still probably chasing hay bales around the field or something. But welcome to Far Reaches Podcast. We are back uh, reaching out to all those reachers out there. Thank you very much for your patience. Uh, I was uh, a little under the weather in the middle of a hurricane last weekend, so unable to uh, join the gang for what was a really good, I think, inspired podcast. As you can see from the background, I have relocated to the southernmost portion of the United States. If I move any further... I will be on an island. So, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Once again, you can find us on all your podcast outlets, be it Spotify, be it iHeartRadio, be it the old-fashioned Apple iTunes, if you're really going to kick it old school. Also, on our YouTube channel, so please make sure to go there, like, and subscribe. That means that little bell, you know, so you get notifications when one of these gems comes out so you don't miss it. Also, make sure it's easy to share that way. So, with that, all that ruckus and tuckus. We will kick off. Uh, like I said, Rawls is probably chasing bales. This is hay season, uh, so it's hard to say when he's going to show up. He might uh, iPad us from his harrow bed. He was hauling hay earlier today. But myself, Mr. Joel, Richard are glad to uh, be here joining you. So we will start with our weekly update. Joel, you look a little fidgety. Why don't you go first? <laughs> I don't know if I'm fidgety, but uh, yeah, I had a pretty good week. Uh, I had the house to myself for uh, Wednesday through Sunday, so that was nice. It looks like it's still uh, there, too. That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I didn't spend too much time here. I, I, I've been doing a lot of golfing still. Um, I've heard rumors flying around. Somehow I got back to Greg that he was calling me out saying I was lying about shooting a 90. Yeah, I told him. Yeah. There's no rumors or anything else. I told him. Yeah, I uh, I went golfing with uh, Darren and Kurt, and uh, I think this day I was with uh, Cal. And, oh yeah, um, yeah. Shot a 39 on the front. Outstanding. Yeah, and then uh, on the back though, I, I kind of reverted to worse than I've late, been lately, and I shot a 52 on the back. But it happens. It's still a pretty decent round. Uh, just put, put yeah. putting two good rounds together front and back would be uh, before I leave here I want to be in the low 80s I want to get a low yeah, 80s I think round. That's yeah that was actually when I talked to JR about it I was like hey congratulations sounds like Mr. Joel's taking the golf and I've uh, been shooting in the 90s and he's like huh so uh, yeah it wasn't like I was being mischievous and like stirring the pot I was just like hey glad to see Mr. Joel's out there tearing it up so yeah <laughs> well done sir well, yeah. well I found I play better when I'm not playing with him and I think it's because he damages my confidence when I'm out there playing wow. with him. He's always criticizing me. 
Oh, we just tell them to go pound sand. Uh, and uh, kick I try to – it's difficult because I, I can't ignore his game, you know. Um, the boy's got he – can, he can still hit a stick, you know. So, you know, yeah. you can't uh, try to outdrive him. You can't try to outchip him. You have to play your own game and, and realize that he's like a plus two. So, he's going to be better. Yeah. Well, I outdrive him sometimes. Yeah, every once in a while. I mean – Yeah, you get lucky, uh, I guess. We all have better shots occasionally. That's why you keep coming back. Because you're like, yeah. how the hell did I do that? Yeah, so. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun. I've been doing that. And then uh, getting a little bit of swim time in. Or lounging in the pool anyway. Not swimming exactly, but. Yeah, I think you're doing laps. Please, God, don't wear a Speedo either. But, yeah, so are you going to uh, get a country club membership at the Manhattan Golf Club or the, the Central Park Go? Yeah, you're going to kick it up a notch. You're going to call Trump. It's like, hey, what's up, homeschool? You got a spot for me? Yeah, I'm saving up $100,000 for an initiation fee. And then, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm in. And the, those pesky assessments are going to come along every once in a while. You know, we got to redo the pool. <laughs> Everybody spend in a quarter million dollars. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Join a club like that with my $500 golf clubs. Really <laughs> I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member. God dang it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still people there. You could whoop their ass with your $500 clubs too. Guarantee you. Yeah. You know, Especially in New York. Is you should go down to Central Park and get on the outside of the golf club and then hit your balls into the golf course. That's what I do. For you can make up your own. Yeah, I've I've seen people chipping in Central Park before. I wonder. Well, why not? Yeah. doing that. I don't. Yeah, I don't see. Well, why they actually make like uh, kind of like almost like ping pong golf balls too for practice out in the yard, where you can take a pretty good swing, but they don't go like a block, you know. So yeah, yeah. those are handy too. Switch those out with Big Daddy's regular golf balls. That's quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen them for years, but I remember when I was little, a big funny prank was to they, – they made these golf balls that explode when you hit them. Exploded. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen those for a long time, though. We tried to sneak one in on Big Daddy one day, but we were just laughing too much, and he was getting unnerved, you know, because he's pretty meticulous. And so to get him to look away so you could place it down – because they feel different, so you couldn't, like, put it in his oh. bag. You'd have to, like, mix it up on the tee or something, so – yeah, we tried to pull it off. We just laughed too much. So it happens. There's got to be other ways. So, yeah. Richard, what's happening? Oh, we uh, had a big fire just outside of Tampa. Yeah. yeah. Some of my old stomping ground. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's not out yet, but they thought they had it this morning when I talked to them this morning. I keep calling. I was like, you need me to come out and help? And I, I don't think I'm that much help, so they say no. So, uh, anyways, but... You know, That's the thought, yeah. But, like, in my past life, I just waited at camp for everybody to come back, so I'm used to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> You guys must be tired. That was a long day, yeah. <laughs> Eat some food. Oh, I used to stomp around up on that mountain. There's actually a place called Cook's Flat that was uh, belonged to my great-great-grandfather. Um, and so, and that was one of the shortcuts. If you're fiddle-farting up Kelly Creek and you can shoot across to go to Lakeview and all back roads, you'd go wind up there so yeah a couple hours but it's been a long time so and then got the ranch well the greater mc ranch all hooked up on a great hunting service called land trusts it's super exciting 
So uh, outstanding. The Airbnb of hunting. I'm hoping that it's as revolutionary as it seems to be. So uh, look forward to meeting all sorts of. Well, really, I think it's. Well, yeah, a great Pete. And there's not a whole lot of input on your part, really, is it? So, I mean, you just sort of like make it available and booking it. And they kind of handle it. So it's not like you put up a huge investment, really, is what I'm saying, to get this opportunity. Yeah. And I'm besides hoping, the ranch. I'm yeah. not listening to this because they still have to furnish the house that I've listed. But, you know. Oh, that's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> I do like being in college, you know, a couple center blocks, wooden board for a shelf, uh, milk crates. Uh, yeah, an old skanky recliner you find in the alleyway. Perfect. I but think yeah. it's a hit. Yeah. No, I'm hopeful for it. I think it's a good. I think it's a good uh, model. A lot like Airbnb, just with the camouflage, hunting boots, hunting dog. Yeah. So, Do yeah. you have to hunt? So it'll be mostly. Can you just just stay there? We made the. We I made the kick you out in the morning. Yeah. Making parts of the ranch uh, accessible, and then housing. One of the big things when they started this thing was uh, a lot of the properties didn't have housing tied to them and then they start finding that the properties with housing tied to them uh, were more uh, appealing to hunters that traveled that far to do it so tried to put together a real complete package we had some hunters some guides in the valley already so we like to get along so we're trying not to step on too many toes but uh, yeah um, just how it goes Hey, if you got better boots, you're going to stomp on some toes. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, and in the long run, I think that this has the potential of paying more than what an average individual guide could ever pay. So, but we yeah, can probably, we can probably make a good world for everybody and everybody can get a little peace and there's plenty of, plenty of space out there. So we're good there. So welcome to the Kumbaya Ranch. We're yeah. all as well. Yeah, that's that's awfully how they often how they refer to the MC group. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's. <laughs> we, just, we just had a wonderful conversation in the store about all the giant blowups of what happened over the last twenty years. It was fun to recollect and look at. A nice little uh, trip down memory lane, huh? <laughs> well, you know, collaboration is not always uh, fun. So. <laughs> No, but surviving it is. That's that's the important part. Yeah. So, that's, but, uh, especially yeah. when you can look back over some of the greatest hits, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, ball. But oh, and then uh, talked about this last week, but I got my roundup tickets, so that's super exciting. Oh, L Town Roundup, nice move there. Yeah. Yes. You got them like physical, or are they like printable, or? Uh, I got the uh, kind. So. Uh, they, I'm impressed with Lakeview uh, from going to digital tickets from analog tickets. And I mean, it was just last year we started get, so we could pay for the tickets with a credit card and now yeah, we're, yeah. we're <laughs> online and there is no ticket. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a been a big, uh, big transition for Lakeview to get into the digital age and it took the rodeo to do it. <laughs> if anything could do it, it would be the roundup. Yes. Or tell a great round to screw herself. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's extra motivation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. When is that rodeo again? End of August. Labor Day weekend, baby. Nice. Yeah, it's worth going down to, Mr. Joel. It's quite entertaining. Well, so go to dry camp. I, dry camp's fun. 
I think I would go there this year, but I'm planning to go back to New York next week. So. Oh, well then that would be a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, since, uh, you're talking about that, uh, Airbnb thing, I thought I'd put this out there for the listeners. So one of my buddies from New York, uh, well, he grew up in Oregon, but he's lived in New York with me for the last seven or eight years. <clears throat> he got a job in Pendleton. Um, so he's moving to Pendleton next month. <laughs> and so if it, if anybody knows of a, of a rental, he's looking for a place to live. So preferably on the North Hill. If anybody gotcha. knows anything, it's, let us know. Just from being in a check with uh, – what's that, Richard? Just from being in our real estate office, that is like there are so many people from urban areas moving to rural areas. Like we have a – we have a – I think our waiting list is well over 50 people to oh. get the rentals that we manage. And uh, people just, are realizing they don't have to live in the city to have a city job. I just looked on the MLS and overnight six houses went from uh, for sale to pending overnight. It is crazy. Oh, wow. The people that are exiting urban areas to get to rural areas. And like we're. I didn't think people would be coming out to this part of the country though. Um, I, I think it's a lot of places. It's the same things going on here. Uh, I've been kind of looking around for houses as so I'm getting settled and finding places I might like. And, and, uh, sure. Shit. I almost 10 out of 10 times so far. I'm like, this is a sweet place. I need to schedule a tour. Ah, it's pending. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like really solid in my, uh, taste, I suppose, but you know, I got a good taste in the places that are going, but, um, yeah, it's, there are people getting the hell out of Dodge. Um, cause they don't have to be there anymore. Like screw your stupid taxes, screw your stupid rent. Your traffic and I'll, as long as I got internet which is a challenge in this part of the world uh, I'll do my job yeah so right now would be a terrible time to own a piece of like a rental um, especially in, like the city I, I keep seeing like all the statistics about how many people just aren't paying their rent so I mean money and you can't they can't be evicted I think like something like 60% of people don't pay their rent or something like that yeah, that's a vicious circle. Um, yeah, I think it's different on Airbnb, I think, because you're paying up front and you can use credit card um, yeah. for that. But, like, yeah, conventional um, landlord situation, um, it's difficult when uh, people don't have any money. And that just trickles up pretty quick. Like, if your folks aren't paying, then most likely you're not making the house payments. Um, so, or at least after a while, you're probably not. Then, yeah. then the bank comes to take it, and what are they going to do? You know, I don't know. That's a, that's a cluster right there. That's we got to turn this some bitch on. Yeah. So. I think you have to turn it on. It's going to take a while to get going again. Well, yeah, but every second you don't turn on the oven is how much longer it takes for you can have a fucking baked potato. Yeah. So, turn it on. Yeah. Just saying. Um, you know what I was thinking about? So when, when things start opening up, all these businesses that were pretty successful before COVID are going to go out of business and shut down. <clears throat> Would it be as easy as like just picking one of those that was successful? If you want to start a business, pick one of those. Basically do the same thing they did. Well, if you figured out why it went tits up, yeah. Well, it went tits I up because they shut down the economy, right? It, yeah, but how to keep that happening next time? Because God knows what 
we've set a precedent now that we can never go back from about mass assholishness. And so it's something to keep in mind, um, how to make it so it's something that's not impacted by that. Yeah. But certainly, Joel, that's opportunity. Opportunity always abounds. I mean, Richard just had an, an example about Lake County Roundup, like all online and spread out and doing their thing. Just they're like, screw you, we're going to find a way to make this work. And they did. And there's a lot of businesses doing that. Um, so that's the, like, Richard brought that up like way long ago when we we're all kind of like pissing and moaning. It's like, hey, it's going to suck, but we're going to come out of this better in some ways because we're going to be forced to adapt and change. And I've never forgot that, uh, even though. I'm griping some days about this or that. Um, no matter what, it's going to come out better in some ways. So just might take a while. But now certainly the time to be looking at those opportunities. Uh, franchises are, are businesses that are going to thrive when uh, there's people again. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, oh, my weekly updates. Uh, I had a chance uh, at my landlord's estate I'm at. Uh, part of my uh, rent, I guess I'll say, is I help around the ranch whenever I can. And so we worked cows early in the week and first real experience with Brahmin cross cattle. So um, <laughs> let me just tell you, they got way better eyesight than most I've ever been around. Um, it's a whole different way of like flight zones and everything. So that was really cool. He was very patient with me. I didn't get ran over. Got it figured out fairly quickly. Um, the state extension vet was out. He's from Brazil and a few vet students. And, uh, I was getting, it was pretty hot, you know, and we're drinking water like maniacs. And he's like, Phew, I need to take a break. And the son bitch almost passed out because he was wearing the wrong coveralls. Uh, it was just sweating like a horn church. And so I'm like, I don't feel so bad I'm getting a little thirsty because I just came from Nebraska like three weeks ago. So, <laughs> but it's just, a, um, it was a great experience. We're pregnant and giving some vaccinations and, and some other stuff. Uh, so to see the, some of the vet students and interact with them, they were third year. Uh, some of them knew what was going on. Some did not, but they were always asking questions about why we were doing something and more importantly, how, um, you know, some of them learned how to run a squeeze chute, which I thought was interesting, um, but they asked. So that was really cool. So it was great to meet the vet, uh, cool Brazilian guy, been all over the place. Uh, really cool to see those, those Brahmin cross cattle and um, they are definitely more attuned to predators and their surroundings, you know, like 150 yards away, fucking heads up looking like they know. Um, but if you're used to working around them and they know your voice and you call them a lot, you got to talk to them all the time. Uh, it was, it was pretty cool. So I got that good chance. Uh, nobody died and we all learned a lot. So that was uh, one of the high points of last week. So like working Velociraptor. That's probably the best description I could have came up with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you in Cracker Cowboy country? Yes, sir. I don't want to say Cracker yes, sir. because that would be confusing. Especially no, actually, um, but the crack that's sort of like even houses around here. It's Cracker-style house. Yeah. Um, but there's some, uh, some cool places south of Gainesville, like Micanopy. And uh, places like that, you're, I was down there a few weeks ago. We were delivering some calves, and I'm like, some bitch, this is like what I picture as old school Florida cracker cowboy county. So it's what, pretty cool. What's, uh, a, what's a cracker cowboy? Uh, it's that? an old term for somebody from Florida country. Uh, cracker was some 
say it's about cracking the whip and that sort of thing. And it's just a slang term for white folk too, but uh, also more specifically just Florida Cowboys. So it's uh, I, uh, never, I never heard that. So they have like their houses have a unique style to them or what? Yeah. They're sort of like a, um, Oh, it's almost like a barn in nature. Usually just one sloped roof, the tin roof, uh, usually open on the inside and like a front porch. They're really oh. cool. Um, they, they make some really snazzy like upper end, but it actually says in the listing like cracker style. Um, so it's taken on an architectural flair, but uh, you know, there's Spanish moss on the trees and lots of lakes and low spots and weird grass. Bahia is a new grass I've learned about, um, you know, so just, just a different uh, ecosystem. And uh, you seeing, uh, you seeing any gators around there, around there? I've, I've always saw gator, but there's a long ways away. But I haven't had any one-on-one -on -one contact, but I've oh. seen several sinkholes, uh, <laughs> which are interesting. Yeah. Um, well, if you're, and a lot of other random stuff. Just to your west in that little, uh, where the panhandle comes in. Mm -hmm. you're sort of you're sort of down and if you went if you drove like directly west you'd be in the you'd be sort of where the panhandle becomes starts going south uh a little further south but not too much for that like that's um, the first pod of manatees is right there so you're not you're like oh two okay manatees too which i yeah I, the whole time i was down in florida during the hurricane i never got i never went and saw manatee and i was so such a hurry to get out of there after a month that I uh, passed on that. But I want to see a manatee. Oh, yeah. So, like, basically due west of me is, like, Steinahatchee, and then Horseshoe Beach is south of that, and then Lower Suwannee. The Suwannee River is, is to my yeah. west. That river mouth is where they hang out. Okay, cool. I'm going to go down there next weekend, I think. I'm going to go check out Cedar Key. Um, Cedar Key is, like, three miles off the coast, a little community, like 700 people. So, um, oh wow! But it's sort of like an hour drive to my office from there. So I'm like, hmm, I might go get some real Florida interaction. Yeah. So, yeah, but, still a lot to explore, but uh, learning a lot already. Just to go back to the crackers, yeah, they predominantly they. Uh, when I was in Russia, I worked with a guy that uh, cowboy in uh, Florida quite a bit, and he brought his uh, cracker bullwhip with him to Russia to impress the. Oh, cool. Russians, so they, it is a predominant piece of equipment. Those cat, those hands in Florida. Yeah. There's also. I didn't realize there was a. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize there was a cattle ranch culture up there at all. I think it's the Tremendous. third third largest yeah. producer of cattle in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's battled back and forth at times between California and Texas. Yeah. Um, lots of cows. East, uh, a really cool history. I have a book, uh, even on my desk, about the Florida Cowboys uh, right here in my little hacienda. Um, there's still some places where they used to bring them in on ships from uh, Cuba. Yeah, so oddly cool enough, stuff. Mormon Deseret Ranch has a big hold down there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it's substantial, just a couple hours south of here. Yeah, I've been there, and then there's uh, there's a family called the Kempfers who are just south of them, which made some amazing cattle. Uh, George and Henry, I got to meet them a couple of years ago, and some of their genetics are in my buddy's herd uh, right now. So uh, they're 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 amazing cattle too. Yeah, it's, lowest input. It's really cool. Of probably any cattle herd in the United States. 
what it costs to raise a cow in Florida is probably oh. 30, 40% cheaper than what it costs to raise a cow anywhere else in the U.S. Easily, yeah. And that's even – so up, up north here, we're a little harsher, but as far as you go south, it's even better than it is anywhere else. And, and I, I just – that blows my mind because, like, we got – my buddy's got a rotation going on in his pastures. And, like, so we had some, some Milo and some Bahia grass and some other stuff in this pasture when I first got here. And they'd mowed it off pretty good. It was probably 65-70% utilization, which what the, they were going for. Put them in another pasture, and, like, we were there a couple of days ago, and that, you know, the Milo's three foot tall now, um, and the Bahia's going crazy. And so they're going to go back in there. Um, and, and so, yeah, you, it's weird because you mow it down after you put them in a place, too. Then you come in and you bush hog it sometimes to get it all um, started over again. And then coffee, coffee weeds, like a coffee bean plant that's like a weed. Um, so learning all the different weeds and, and such too, but uh, yeah, like we can, we like fires pretty much every day. Yeah. Not only like, are they like Velociraptors? They're Velociraptors on caffeine. Yes. <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> that explains the extra, uh, extra alertness. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, very, very aware, um, smart, um, interesting cattle. Yeah. It's been fun to work with them, but uh, oh. Yeah, we have big old brush piles everywhere, and like you just drive by and light them on fire and keep going. Like you don't have to worry about burning season because like it freaking rains every afternoon, you know. So <laughs> twenty minutes it hasn't rained yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm really shocked it hasn't been. It was pouring down this afternoon. I had a video call for work, and like I had like my hands like shoving my headphones in my ears because it's so loud on my tin roof. It sounds like uh, you know a thousand ants are flying over the top of your head. It's crazy. So, anyways. I have yeah, one that's uh, no, for yeah, absolutely. This this is our time, boys. Yeah. So is Grangeville like the cow town in Florida, or is there another one that's more predominantly sort of the central central hub of Florida cattle? Uh, Okeechobee, I think, is probably. Um, and then there's some great ranches like over on the coast, like St. Augustine. Um, what's the name of that ranch? The uh, Phillips Ranch is a huge. Uh, Right on the like, we're almost on the coast, but Okeechobee's got a, a pile of both beef cows and dairy cows. Um, there's a decent amount here south of here, um, so yeah, almost anywhere you can have a, a flat spot for a cow where she won't drown. Um, See, they're gonna have them. Dairy makes sense in Florida. That, yeah, that's something. That, but it, is it which which herd's larger, the dairy herd or the cattle herd? Probably cattle oh, less maintenance. I think cattle are, yeah, because dairy cows get too hot. Like, um, and you, you got to have a ton of fans on them because your production just takes a dump. Um, there's some huge dairies, but I think beef cattle outnumbered uh, dairy cows would be my uh, guesstimate, yeah. What so, kind of uh, beef cows are they? Not that I know a whole lot, but, you know, like, I feel like sometimes they go places and their cows don't look like our cows. These will look different. Yeah, they're different cows. They're uh, they got a lot of indicus influence, which means they come from. So they're gonna have like bunchy skin. They're gonna look like a like a Brahmin bull with the hump sometimes, or a, a Brangus, which is a cross between a Brahmin and an Angus cow, and then like nineteen different variations of that. Uh, some Nalore, which is right from South America, cow, uh, but they're all gonna be like uh, bigger, kind of framed than you used to seeing. They got different skin. They're light colored usually. Some some brindle colored though that are pretty cool looking. Um, but yeah, they got bigger ears. They got big waddles on their neck. 
um, they're built for heat. And so uh, they put a lot of time into making genetics where you still get good, good maternal instincts and most importantly, like good uh, meat quality because for a long time, like they didn't have a lot of that. They were just surviving. But you know, when you did have a cat, you're like, you're like, you're like yeehaw. Uh, but now they've got a lot of good genetics they've been working on too, that um, they can survive the heat, live on this washy grass and, and do pretty good job. Uh, and the beef all tastes meat. about the same. Like, uh, it tastes the same as, like, what is overall, it out here? Are they I mean, Hereford? Yeah, just, Hereford cows out here? No. Yeah, Angus, some Hereford, Red Angus. Not many Hereford anymore, but, uh, yeah, British breeds, as they would say. Yeah. Um, so that's the major, you know, got Boss Taurus and Boss Indicus. And Taurus are the ones that are mostly in uh, up in up in y'all's part of the world. And, uh, sounds like Indicus, you're talking so. about weed strains or something. Are you seeing any Santa Gertrudis and Beefmaster? not seen them i know there's quite a few down here a lot of gertz and um some beef master for sure too but i think uh it just depends on who they know in texas and how many beef masters or gertz they got running around but uh do the king the king ranch does it still have a little hold in texas in florida i think so um i've not been there i've been in texas but i've been over this one i'll have to find out yeah i got a lot of research to do still on for beef cattle presence, but um, yeah, and, they, and you know, we had some. I cooked some ribeyes the other night that they didn't appeal to be very marbled, uh, but they were extremely tender, uh, phenomenal. Um, and that's from those some of that uh, Kempfer genetics, which are pretty impressive. That's they've been focused on tenderness for like 15 20 years, and so um, it didn't look like a supreme steak, but it was really tasty and very tender. This brings me to my newest rant. <laughs> Ooh. Welcome to Richard's newest rant. I always get jumped on by uh, people when I'm talking about grass-fed, A, because I talk about it too much, but uh, <laughs> because it, the people feel Inconceivable. like- Inconceivable. Yeah, people feel like I'm putting down conventional cattle, which I'm trying to back off to and not doing. And they're like, there's nothing better than a grain-fed, uh, like continental breed. Mm -hmm. and, it's not, and I just don't like. I'm producing for a certain customer base that wants this product, and yeah. I think that there's this very. I think that this traditional, uh, this in the ranching industry, this thing that the highest quality, best piece of meat that you can get is grain-fed Midwestern, you know, stocky, fed 100, yeah. 93, 100 days, um, is sort of a misnomer. And I think that I think that we're beginning to find out that there's a great variety of <clears throat> different subtle flavors that come with different breeds and different types mm -hmm. of environments, and that people are starting to identify those more. And different flavor profiles have different appeal to different people, and a lot of it's, it's much like wine. Yeah, I think. And it, 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 I think we're a long ways from it yet, but I think that as we mature, as far as understanding rangeland animals and stuff, that uh, it's sort of like recognizing seasonality. Like it's not really good to have avocados in Wisconsin in February. I mean, we can do it. They didn't come from there probably. Yeah. But 
there's probably a lot of stuff that well in that environment you'd have more roots and tubers in the falls and the winters mm -hmm. and stuff and having uh i just found these candy grapes they're amazing but normally when it would be consuming those every region has a different type of goat or a different breed of animal or a different type of uh, ruminant that's particular in that re region different types of sheep dorax pigs all the way across the board so I think as we concentrate on uh, understanding our own food sheds more, we need to drop some of these preconceived notions of what is the most proper, what is the highest and best use of the animal. Because oh, that's great. Because I can guarantee you that these Akiyushi calves that we're raising, which are not from here, but they're growing mm -hmm. grass, um, they taste really good. And I'd put a I'd put a well marbled Akiyushi grass fed calf up against any grain fed any day, and we've been living off them primarily now for the last sixteen months, and I'm impressed with it's it. Tasty, yeah. I tell you, yeah, I'm a picky son bitch when it comes to a steak. Like, I rarely order one at the restaurant, like, ever. Semiotti's and the Nebraska Club, about the two places I'd ever order a steak and know I was going to enjoy it, uh, mostly because you just don't get what you're hoping for. Um, this I've had that Akushi. I brought from bought some from Heart Brown several times. Damn good. Um, the ribeyes I cooked the other night, like I would not have bought them in the store just by looking at them. Right. Um, I think I even have a picture of them when, before I cooked them. Um, but they were phenomenal. Um, so yeah, you're right. I, um, that's going to keep evolving, I think, and and options are going to be there. And I think that's that's so cool. And I think. Um, it's good to keep trying that and pressing it forward and seeing uh, what you might like and what you can make. And like you said, I'm making it for people looking for this. So, you know, you might be looking for it. You just don't know it yet. The interesting I think you need to send something to Joel. I learned about is uh, pigs. So there's a guy in pigs that's trying to get a grass fed. There's oh yeah, focus on pasture raised pigs and the genetics of the pigs are so geared towards mm. that um barn system um, and certain types of feed and a certain level of uh medication to keep them going that he actually has to ferment milk to supplement the them as he's developing them and each generation he picks the ones that uh go off mm -hmm. of the, the best and he keeps those and he breeds them back and he, every time he can get them to convert more grass and not be so reliant on the grains and the uh, different other types of inputs that the commission mm -hmm. had. Uh, the meat that his pigs are producing are as red as a beef. That white. I bet so, yeah. So I think as we, as the agriculture systems change and demands of customers change, we'll find that there's a great amount of variety in meat that we may have walked away from 50 or 60 years ago that we're going to start bringing back. Well, yeah, I think it's we're pushing more towards constantly pushing towards efficiency, you know, and maximizing what I can do per square foot of land, be it with a cow or with, with a grain or with a pig or a chicken or whatever. That's got us to where we're at, which in some regards is absolutely amazing with the science we're able to take advantage of. However, we've become diversified enough, I think, in our economy and our taste that we're going to be looking for these other crafted ways of having that product also. And if people can figure out how to market that properly, they're still going to make money, uh, maybe even more on a per unit basis. 
and I think it's going to continue to expand. And that's just awesome to see. I think it's amazing. But uh, that's undoing a lot of really focused and intense selection uh, to get back to the other part. But, uh, you know, it won't take that many generations, I think, to get where he wants to be. Especially with pigs. Yes. Yeah. Joel, you having fun yet? <laughs> we lost him. <laughs> Joel's like, I just wanted a fucking chicken nugget, man. That's all. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea of like a craft meat industry, so similar to like beer. People uh, yeah. get all cultish around it. Yeah. Um, what, what, I, yeah. I, when you guys were talking about that, what's appropriate to raise in different geographic locations, I always think back, I heard a statistic once about, I can't remember what kind of nuts they grow in California, but is it? Walnuts or some almonds. It takes like what, like ten gallons of water to produce one fucking almond. There's have you ever heard of this? There's the uh, there's the approved media narrative of what it takes, <laughs> and then there's the reality of what it is. It's like it takes six hundred and fifty gallons of water to raise a animal. Uh, I don't know. I forget what I saw. Pound of beef or whatever they said at one time. Yeah. Incredible. They just uh, they, they actually just start putting out some more accurate numbers. But it's really good for the narrative to say that it takes, you know, the interesting thing is the thing that they don't ever pick on that uses a lot of water, wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's untouchable. It has, the, people. Most, it has the most synthetic inputs. If you get a bottle of wine, you're probably getting more glyphates and different types of synthetic chemicals in that oh, yeah wine then you're going to get it in any almond any animal any crop it is so concentrated that they can like test it with a strip to find out like that they can test it's amazing and i'm not sounds not like it might not be good for you no bear down yeah Yeah. i didn't i I thought wine was just grape grape juice fermented they got to grow those damn grapes though yeah and that's not easy wait so what's the water for other than to make the liquid to drink. Growing the grapes. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes wine gets thirsty, too, Joel. We must keep it happy. Yeah. Well, I was like, well, you drink the wine. It's like water-based. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not really Think a about waste all of that water. water, then. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, like, uh, where's, where's the misinformation on growing one of those, whatever you called it, Micah? For ten gallons of water to produce one of those, what is it? Almond. What is it? Almonds. And almonds aren't even good. They're terrible. Almonds are amazing. So, you shut your word maker. You waste all this water down in California, and they, they can't really spare a whole lot of it. The only thing that wastes water in California is the fucking people. All right, that's what wastes the water in California. We we have a, my sister runs in the Delta. And uh, which is a unique place in the United States, geographic mm-hmm. states and it's the water, the way the water works in that part of California. And they actually let water go by crops to go out to the sea so that they can save a little chub fish that probably is hardy enough to survive the way that it had been. I mean, there's other things that they need to talk about as far as what's going into that water and runoff and that kind of stuff. But they are actually bypassing growing crops and using water for that and running it out through the bays and into the ocean. So there is a water problem in California, but it's not what they're talking about. And, and a lot of places, we grow stuff that probably should never be there. Or 
would be smarter somewhere else, but it's because we've domesticated it and we like to have it close by. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can tune what you're growing to your area. Other times you're square pegging into a round hole because I like it. Uh, I couldn't get it before because uh, if I couldn't grow it here, I couldn't have it. So I figured I wanted to make it grow here. I don't know why you guys like are corn. defending cashews so hard. <laughs> cashews? I don't know. <laughs> cashews? Almonds, damn it. Almonds. Oh, my aunt used to say almonds, which always drove me nuts. Yeah. I'm thinking that corn yeah, was still corn. almonds and cashews. They're both hard. Corn was probably never so growing North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, you know, greenhouse time, something like that. But yeah, you know, you think about all the work they've done on corn to get it to grow in different places in a fewer degree days. You know, um, how many cobs of corn do you think grow on one stalk? Ooh, they are saying depends on the, depends on the type at, of corn for one. But yeah, it's so like five or six of them on one stalk. Oh, no, you're going to have, what, 10, 15 or 20 years on a stock? Yeah, somebody 15? in Australia just set the oh. world record for most bushels per acre. Just set it. It's incredible. Like, I, saw I don't know what it is, but they just did it. Yeah. yeah. I saw a picture of the crop. It is insane. You couldn't even see through it. <laughs> not, a good, not a good venue for children of the corn, too. Yeah, couldn't move, couldn't maneuver. Not work. Yeah. You'd, <laughs> you'd, be too tired to, you'd be too tired to go after the victim after you chopped your way through the They're machine. literally of the corn. Yeah, they can't go anywhere else. Yeah. Then eventually it'd be old people of the corn because they couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Signs would have been a lot shorter movie. <laughs> they just come down and they just bounce off the corn and like, well, screw this. We're going somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, on signs you bring that up my position on that was always why don't they just uh, uh harvest their crop if they knew that the aliens were following the sign the crop circles you could just cut down your field they would have been screwed right i don't know what you're talking about yeah <laughs> I, I heard that movie i don't think i ever saw the movie i don't ever uh, i thought you guys were i thought you guys were just talking about signs yeah i was I can't believe you haven't seen that movie yet. No, I haven't. Yet. <laughs> I'll put it on my list. Yeah, nice way to sneak in that yet. Yeah. Mel, Mel Gibson I, and uh, the guy with the, the palette deal. That was yeah, there. River. Oh, Phoenix. Yeah. Joaquin. Yeah. Joaquin. Oh, yeah. Not River. River's dead. It's Joaquin. Yeah. No, I was just looking at that. I'm like, eh, no thanks. Wasn't that an M. Night Shyamalan Ding Long? Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. That's one of his better oh, okay. ones. Cool. Yeah, put it on my list. We'll see if I get bored. Yeah. Speaking of movies, yeah. speaking of freaking movies, should we actually kick into the movie of the week? Big Jake. Big Jake. 1971 John Wayne classic. Big Jake at McCandles. I thought you were dead. Yeah. That, that cracked me up. Um, John Wayne, Marina Hara. But two of John Wayne's sons were in it. Uh, Patrick Wayne, which was in a lot of movies. And then Little Jake was actually one of John Wayne's boys also, I think. Um, big really? pile of, uh, yeah. Who was, the other, who was his other real-life son? The blonde? Yeah. No, Patrick, the, the smart-ass guy. Like, okay, the one that drove the gets, motorcycle. No, not that guy. The guy that oh, got yeah, whipped that off the horse at the beginning. Kept calling him daddy. Yeah, uh, yeah, James, James McCandles was Patrick Wayne, who was in 
quite a few John Wayne movies, actually. Um, well, that explains uh, it. That's why he was such a bad actor. It was nepotism. Yeah. It was yes. painful to watch. Yeah. What was the whole deal with that scene where he's like, welcome home, daddy. Glad to just see you, smart daddy. Ass, apparently, you know, he, because so he hadn't been his dad. That's why. Dad. Yeah, like, you know, like, he's just giving him. The more he called him daddy, the more he realized, you're not really my dad. You've never been here. So that pissed off John Wayne, I think. Yeah. So they got to have that, you know, because if you ever, so did you ever watch McClintock, Mr. Joel? I don't know. Is that one of our movies of the week? That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think, think you I think, remember. I think it. I watched it. I Anyways, I watched it. Patrick I Wayne's in that one too. And they have several fights with him in that one. So it's just what they do too. Yeah. You did watch it. You had the commentary of the horse slap. Okay, yeah, that was McClintock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but you didn't remember it, yeah. So, um, anyways, yeah. So this was in '71. I think '77 was the shootest. I think that was his last movie, right? So you know, I think you can. He kind of knew he wanted to get one of these more in. He had Marina Hara, which is one of his favorite co-stars. Uh, a good uh, kind of travel and hero story which he liked to do um it's one of my probably top 20 it's honestly not one of my favorite john wayne movies i, I it's um i think they were stuck i don't know i didn't appreciate the 1909 setting and the change and uh i like mcclintock a lot better i guess but uh, it's it's still good it seemed to drag a bit for me though just personally you know some people are probably running off in the ditch right now to hear but, yeah, I, I like the whole opinion. I like the whole peck and paw vibe about it. Well, maybe that's why I didn't like it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a much darker, harder edged movie for John Wayne. It's so I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he seemed to do more of those later on in his career. He got a little more dark, dark and I admit that, but it's been the, the culture shifting a bit too. But uh, yeah, a lot of shooting. Uh, I did like dogs shredding everybody's wheat. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a uh, look at Joel. Joel, what? <laughs> Way in here, Joel. You can talk about it. For first. those of you who are just listening and driving down the road, Joel's kind of shaking his head. He's definitely got what I would deem a shit-eating grin, and he's ready <laughs> to spring some sort of wisdom upon us. Well, it was. Go. It, it's probably the worst, most bizarre ending to a movie I've ever seen. So. Yeah, you know, the big wrap-up scene, the the gunfight, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, and and the uh, the Indian, who was a very important character in the movie, Mr. Sharp Nose. Yeah, the white dude yeah. who played the Indian. Yeah. I'm gonna spoil it, but he got oh, he's white. Well, he got shot and killed, as the yeah. dog, the dog. Who yeah. Was dog got one of the main dog got chopped up. Yeah. But they never even. I mean, they kind of yeah, they get chopped up, both of them. Yeah. Uh, they never even talk about it. They never address the fact that, oh, that's sad. Instead, they, the movie ends right after that, and they walk off smiling. Like, they're laughing like, patting <laughs> each other on the back. like, <laughs> And they have that freeze frame yeah. laugh. Yeah. yeah, I know. And they're going to cry later on when they're like, hey, who's going to yeah. get uh, Sam's horse? You know, yeah. I, uh, part of that was, and that's that freaking Peckinpah ending, too, uh, that I didn't really care for, but uh, yeah, like, dude, your best friend and dog just got hacked to bits by a psycho dude who looked way too much like me, by the way. Um, and I'm like, like, does ah. this eight-year-old? I think, I, I think they had to ask themselves, was it worth it? 
was this eight-year-old worth it to lose dog and your best friend, the Indian guy? He'd say, no, I love not me. worth the risk. When he's at the yeah. train station and he's like, I need a um, one more thing. I'll need a piece of his clothing to track him with. And she hands him like the little Sunday school marm hat. You know, he kind of looks at it like, whatever. You know, like, Jesus, I've been gone too long because this is the hat my grandson's wearing. You know, that yeah, no, struck me so funny. Um, just the look on his face like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the, the concept of the story is great. Uh, I like the switch, you know, where they decide not to pay the money, even though they said they are going to. And so they've been hauling around a, a huge trunk full of paper, basically. <laughs> but if you, Which, if you think of that, I don't know if it happened in that. That was the first movie they did it. But that's basically the premise to, like, Ransom. Oh, for a lot of movies, yeah. Like, yeah. screw you. It's just like Ransom. Yeah, I'm the tough dad. I'm going to come get you myself. You had your chance, and now I'm going to kill you dead. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, for those of you playing along at home, I guess we'll give you the quick synopsis, too, for Big Jake. Like, he's been gone, whoring around the country. I guess they really don't say what he's been doing. Um, but he's gone from the ranch forever, and some ruffians come in and, and shoot the shit out of everybody and take the uh, little grandson and leave a ransom note, you know. So it wasn't like a spur-of-the-moment thing. Like, they traveled there specifically for that and set a lot of things into motion. And he gets – somehow she gets a letter to him. I don't know. She just wrote like Big Jake, freaking New Mexico, and they found him. You know, <laughs> but everybody else back. thought he, everybody else thought he was dead. Every time so. you run into somebody, like, oh, I thought you were dead. Yeah, yeah. which always kind of made me laugh. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, they dead. come together. They won a million dollars in 1909, and uh, I like the line. He's like, "Do we have a million dollars?" She's like, "Yes." Many times over. He's like, okay. <laughs> but did they ever say what he's been out doing or why he's not home? Did they ever did they ever touch on that, Richard? Um, I I was just looking it up. I think McCandles, Texas is a real place. And I think the ranch I think so. I think that a lot of that is sort of based on a true I think it was just huge and he probably never had to go back. So But where was he at? Like what are you doing? Buying, buying cows? Back, yeah. But, uh. In Outlaw, Bounty Hunter. No. I think even then, I'd want to come back to my place every once in a while and just see what the hell's going on. Just saying. I figured they were yeah. divorced. Like, they were split up, weren't they? No. No. No, just like McClintock. Like, she was gone off to D.C. McClintock, he was home on the ranch. This one, I guess, was like the payback that she was running the place and he was i don't know what he was doing but yeah um because it wasn't like he had a whole herd of guys he's riding around with him and his dog but anyways um he gets the money they go to track the guys down and of course the sheriff and his moron buddies try something and they're all riding in their cars and they all break down and get shot to shit and they uh they go on their way and he tracks them down and then uh the end but um yeah, there was some interesting moments, of course. I, you know, they tried to touch on that turn-of-the-century time where there's conflict between the cars and the horses and the old and the new and that uh, that dude on the motorcycle. A lot of times that guy ate shit, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was just buzzing the people, the bad guys, buzzing them. wasn't even doing anything to them when he tried to buy them, you know? Oh, so yeah, I think he did scare the horses at one time, yeah. But, yeah, uh, 
Well, he hit that. He jumped off that rock and hated that one guy. That was pretty cool. That was like an evil Knievel moment there. But uh, yeah, I liked the cool scabbard he had on his bike too. That was pretty cool. But uh, he couldn't shoot that pistol for shit. Yeah. I I don't think the movie, and I I guess it's arguable whether it was a success or not. But I don't think it would have been a successful had um, Don Wayne and O'Hara not done so many previous movies because a lot of their dialogue was body language oh yeah yeah and i don't and i thought that was an exceptional part of the movie is their interaction probably the best of i mean it just shows a mature um it really conveys like they were really married like that what goes unspoken between them is what the whole premise of the movie is about Mm -hmm. they are able to pull it off in a brief scene in that train station well yeah because it's like are you sure this is what you want? And you think at the time they're talking about giving them the money, but obviously they've spoken or another time or no, that there's no way in hell they're ever going to give them that money. And so that's, you know, when he says like, are you sure this is what you want? Yes. Uh, so that comes to light at the end when the kids are, they have that battle in the hotel room and they figure out that there's nothing in the trunk besides paper. Yeah. I think it speaks to like, even though their day-to-day physical relationship might have soured their intimate understanding of each other's capacity to weather this kind of situation is just uh mm-hmm. i i think that's an if the, if you threw the whole movie out and just kept that train that train station scene that's a brilliant scene in any movie oh i completely agree um and it stands up well and it, and it gets reinforced at the end when you find out all out again even more um, I, I can't argue that at all. No, I think that, and like you said, I think it's built off some of their previous times. I think they take that into part of the account, or at least maybe I do mentally when I see them there again. Um, but uh, and then the other, no, I think it's one that everybody should watch. It's just not one of my all-time favorite John Wayne movies. The other thing is, given the error that was produced, it's like when you uh, try and we have this problem where we like with the tearing down the monuments, the things that have happened. We're trying to frame the movie in a 2020 context when it was a 1970s context. And um, the movie was, I think, in the 70, in 71 when it was done was such a raw and departure from what was normal for John Wayne. And mm-hmm. especially for Richard Boone, that after that movie, Richard Boone never really worked again. Because... It, yeah time his portrayal of the bad guy was so sinister and like the, there's two big movie pivotal movie scenes that involved children in the in the 70s and 60s and the one was what's fine in the west when henry fonda shot the kid and the other one was richard boone and the way that he treated the kid in uh, big jake and it grew it no changed. don't forget i've got one more yeah drew stern in the cowboys yeah, smashing that kid's glasses and smacking them around that 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 ruined Bruce Stern forever yeah and it, it changed the trajectory of three great actors entire careers and changed their mm-hmm. role that they'd have in the future and stuff so why we have this context of 2020 and we're not looking at it through the 1971 lens as to how probably disruptive that it might have just been why why it didn't catch on is probably because it was way before it's time Are you saying those those scenes were controversial back in the day so much so that kind of canceled the actors just yeah. for beating up well, kids. Yeah, certainly. Um, 
Bruce Stern, especially in the Cowboys, because he was, you know, he smashed his kids' glasses and stomped them all around. Uh, he killed John Wayne, um, shot him in the back. And, you know, that was like people would come up on the street and, like, cuss him out. Like, you son of a bitch. Like, it was freaking – like, you don't kill John Wayne, dude. Like, he'd never died in a movie before. Isn't that when Sammyville from uh, Elgin <laughs> shot the screen? Shot the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can like look back at those people and be like they were crazy didn't they understand these are just characters but people still do that today when it comes to like uh drama well, on real housewives or something it's all fabricated yeah, and i but. think for a lot of people and i think this is why it's so special to me especially john wayne represented america or americans um you know like sansa iwo jima and all the cowboy movies and all the war movies like he was what we're all about, dude. Like, you want you want to mess with me? I'm going to kick your ass and walk away and go smoke some cigarettes. Um, you know, that's just what it was. And so you had those heroes that no matter what happened, you know, they're going to they're gonna come through. And someday they didn't, you know. Of course, it was the 70s, too, and there's all sorts of other chaos going on. But, like, they decided finally that somebody's going to kill John Wayne and, of course, going to shoot him in the back. Um, so – yeah, that's, uh, you know, Bruce Stern had to wait like 60 years to get some roles with Quentin Tarantino. So. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just one more pivotal scene that we, if we don't discuss. Sorry to interrupt, Richard. Yeah. I think that there's just one more pivotal scene. If we don't discuss it, um, we're really doing the movie a disservice. And that's buying the sheep from the Irishman that's being hung. Uh, to be sure, yes. One of the greatest openings <laughs> of any movie ever. <laughs> I really enjoyed that part. Yeah, that's. That's where you got the first, I thought you were dead. Um, you know, it gives him a low ball price and, you, can, you know, you can, <laughs> you want to think about that. Then like any request, can I come with the sheep or something like that? And yes, you may, you know, so, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was pretty damn good. I, I'd for, uh, forgotten the importance of that for sure, because well, some great lines. And, it doesn't look like you're in much of a position to be bargaining. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was classy. Uh, just hanging in because he's a damn sheep herder, you know. Yeah, so yeah, that was awesome. But uh, no, yeah, I think it's a great movie. I think everybody should watch it. I, I just don't. Uh, it's not one of the first five I really whip off on my John Wayne must see list. Probably because it is pretty dark, you know. It is right up there for me. I I I'd put it as my favorite. I think. I don't know why, but yeah, I think I think Rawls. Um, when you guys were talking about it, you guys were both pretty frothed up, and I was like, "Cool, you know, yeah." Like uh, we all have our preferences, and I'm probably the more lighthearted John Wayne guy um, than the series. Like, you know, I like The Searchers a lot, though. That's a that's a dark, mm -hmm. dark movie for sure. Um, one of the darker ones, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's. Uh, of all the John Wayne movies that could be remade, I think it's the best candidate. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah I thought they did a good job with, uh, what was that, True Grit they did a few years ago? Yeah. I think they nailed that one pretty well. Um, how big Jake could be? Who would uh, who'd play, who'd play John Wayne? You know, I, I would hate to say this, but I think that, like um, – I think Bruce Willis would be awesome. He's just the right age. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Chris Willis. No, I would think. Uh, Weaver. What's that? Bruce and Sigourney. <laughs> oh, I, like, I think uh, they're more of a. Oh, what's that guy's name? Kevin Costner. He he's doing a good job playing a cowboy on uh, Yellowstone. Oh yeah. He would be good. I think. Uh, I think Josh Brolin could do a great job too. Oh, you can make him look a little older. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the oh, son, the son that kept calling him daddy, I thought that guy looked like Josh Brolin. Kind of, yeah. He, think, looks, he always reminds me of Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies, too. You know who that would be, who could be the son? Uh, what's his name? Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. a huge fan of that guy. Yeah. I've seen Justified like four or five times. Yeah, that's a great series. And he's in Deadwood. Yes. Yeah. 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 Underrated. And Ian McShane. Ian McShane could be the uh, freaking um, Boone. John Fain. Yeah. Yeah. A rump. Hollywood, if you're listening, and I freaking know you are. We laid it out for you, boys. Perfect, perfect uh, time for Lou Diamond Phillips to play the Indian sidekick. Oh, oh yeah. This pairing. Bowling and Lou Diamond Phillips. That would be a badass. I'd be in. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be down. But Come on, kids. Make it happen. If you're going to do Borland, you're going to need another female lead. Yeah. Uh, oh. Renee, Ru- Renee Russo. Oh, I'd buy that. Yeah. I'd buy that for a dollar. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Harumph, good sir. Yeah. Who's writing this shit down, kids? This stuff ain't free. Come on. Yeah. That's uh, I want publishing credits. Harumph. We got it. It's right here. It's documented. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Copyright 2020, MRJR Productions. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. So, that was big, Jake. Uh, good, bad, ugly. I think we all liked it in a different way. Um, again, it's one of the, I think everybody should see just because of how it, how it travels and some of these moments we've covered. Um, again, it's not uh, like half of us. It's like the top John Wayne movie and another half we're like, eh. But that's what makes this whole deal fun. So, that leads us right in directly to uh, one of my favorite segments, which is the intellectual moment of the week. And it varies on the level of intellectuality. Um, and I saw something the past couple of days, and then I found an article on it tonight on uh, the wellstreetjournal.com. And the title of the article, United States Post Office to Suspend Changes Until After Election. And uh, this is, uh, let's see, by by Natalie Andrews, Alexa Kors, and Paul Ziobro. Uh, it was just written tonight, uh, August 18th at 5.32 p.m. So Postmaster General Louis DeJoy says the agency won't remove equipment or cut hours amid congressional scrutiny ahead of an expected surge in mail-in voting. So this is all tied to the pictures online of, mailboxes on trucks going away and people claiming that uh, that's how the election's going to get fixed. It's just not going to have any fucking mailboxes. Um, turns out, uh, apparently they do this all the time. They've been doing it for years where they either move them to different spots or they take them to get repaired at this big place, like in Wisconsin, I think is one place and they get painted and brought back. So it's not like a giant, uh, 
conspiracy unrolling in front of us. It's been going on for quite some time. People are just starting to pay attention to the post office again now, apparently. But uh, so they've decided, like, we are freezing all activities uh, until after the election so we can be standing tall and nobody can accuse us of sucking any more than we already do. So um, I thought it was interesting because decided to make it clear they weren't changing anything for a while but have you guys heard anything about this and if so what are you thinking lincoln you can go ahead richard you can't just shake your head online people don't know what you're doing yeah i just remember the midterms when uh they have the video footage of the post office this was during covid um of the post office employee taking the mail-in ballots and dumping them in the trash yes so I prefer that they don't have anything to do with the voting because I don't think it's legit. <laughs> I And I know that Nancy says it's uh, unconstitutional not to do mail-in voting, but uh, I would have to disagree with her because I think that, uh, I think that a big part of uh, your civic duty is to get your ass to the polling place and vote and uh yeah, and something as important as this, we need to stop. This, this, the politicalization of COVID is gone, is beyond pale. And Comprehension, the, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I just saw a great, uh, from a reliable source of a concert in Wuhan, China, with over 100,000 people. Not a face mask in the thing. So... You yeah. cannot no longer tell me that this is political, This that this is for health reasons. I'm done with that completely. Um, uh, if Wuhan, the center of it all, where they just had another outbreak less than 30 days ago, is having a 100,000-plus concert with no face masks, then I call BS and get your ass to the polling place. Well, yeah, and people are protesting about not being able to show up in person. Yes, that's the definition of irony. I think where I come from. Um, yeah, I, I think I put a thing on Facebook and, and LinkedIn a couple of days ago about how you should have to have ID to vote. And I had several people, they didn't put it online. They said, that sounds pretty racist, Micah. <laughs> then I said, what in the ever living dog fuck are you talking about? Racist. And they go, well, we know you're not racist, but that sounds racist to us. And I was like, Dude, I'm saying the most sacred right that we have as a citizen needs to be protected at all costs. And I think if you have to show ID to get on a plane, and that's what it said, if you have to show ID to get on a plane, you should have to show ID to vote. Um, and I think, you know, like, well, we can't get, that's, that suppresses people because they can't get the ID. And I'm like, I think your social security number or a card or some sort of that stands in just as well because you're still finding a way to get assistance and everything else in the sun without this magical ID, you can go freaking vote. Um, and I, I know there in the past, there's been times when people have been suppressed uh, way back in the day um, with quizzes you had to answer and polls and taxes and all that shit. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, there's no way that should ever be conceived now. And I think having that, everybody has to show up you have to prove that you're a citizen before you can vote here should not be that crazy. Um, if we were starting from scratch today and we weren't all politicized, I think we'd all agree that would make sense. Like, Hey guys, if you're not a member of the family, you don't get to go where we go on vacation. Okay. Joel, you're the boyfriend. You sit down. Everybody else in the family, 
gets to vote about our family vacation. So we would do that for that, but we don't give a shit about our country and the election. So, you know, I don't know what, I'm not saying you have to have like a laminated placard. I think there has to be a way to show that you are a citizen. Holy Christ Almighty, for me to get a Florida license, I have to drag in DNA from my third grade teacher, for God's sakes. I mean, it's the most ridiculous line of list of shit I have to go dig up to take to the DMV to prove I can drive in this state. Um, way less than I need to go vote. I think it's out of balance, you know. Um, it's not about keeping somebody from voting who should. It's about making sure everybody who votes is people who should be doing that. Um, so this mailbox thing kind of set that off in many different formats, but um, I think it's ridiculous. And Joel, you're un unusually quiet for this topic. Uh, well, yeah. Trying, I don't want to say anything that would get me in too much trouble, but I totally agree with you. Um, what it is, it's, it's a, the minimum minimum amount of work that you need to do to participate in this country yeah it could be go get a fucking id you're an adult you need an id you need an and, id already right yes thank you very and much. if you're you almost anything in, you need an id if you are incapable of that i disrespect your judgment so much that i would straight up vote so that you cannot vote like, it's yeah, a minimum. For the seven like, people I, across the U.S. that might fall in that category. Yeah, yes. Gonna, who, who, who's that person going to vote for and on what grounds? Well, that you, doesn't matter. Like, uh, seriously. Well, like, but you hit it on the head. They're like, dude, you are an adult of 18 years of age or older. You need ID to live in this country, basically. You know? Like, seriously. If you get caught driving without it, they're writing you up and taking you to jail. Like, you go anywhere. You've got to show your ID. Like if you write a check or you got a credit card, half the time they want to see your ID. So, you know, it is not a completely foreign concept. We just pull out of our ass like, hmm, how can we keep people we don't like from voting? No. Like, yeah, you, no, I you live here. I just wish people who didn't know anything about the topic or the candidate just refrain from even participating in the vote. So like when I go in and vote, there's a whole bunch of different things on the ballot of these different races that oh, I've yeah. never even heard of. Yeah. I don't know who any of these people yeah. are. I could Backup go and, dog catcher from Sector 7. You're like, I don't know who the hell Steve Williams is, but yeah. yeah. You could vote by political party, I suppose, but even that, I wouldn't. I never do that. Just, I don't know that these people are. Can you imagine if people voted for somebody just because of the color of their skin or they're a female or male? Can you imagine how crazy that is? <laughs> I'm sorry. That side note was brought to you by Micah and this. What the hell's going on in this country moment? I'm always, I'm always amazed to go when you go in the ballot to find out who you think is good that's not in your party. Like local elections, especially, I found like I'll go in and see their name and I'll see the D next to them. I'm like, I'm still voting for her, but I was like, oh, had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got an invite today. Oh, this will kill you. I got an invite today to be in a Facebook group. And, I, and nothing against them. I just don't know why they sent it to me. Maybe they want a token. Uh, Eastern Oregon Dem slash Lib Friends. Private group. 11 members. Uh, one of them thinks I'm funny or whatever. Um, invited me to the group. I've not decided whether I'm going to join or not yet. Um, because, well, I got better things to do really than get tangled up into that. But, hey, thanks for the invite. I guess I should be more radical 
people on my Facebook posts, but uh, <laughs> very honored. Yes, I might join just to see what you guys are all about. <laughs> the whole USPS controversy and the conspiracy theory that by by the left, like I don't I don't get it. Um, there were some pictures that went viral of people complaining that Trump's locking up the the mailboxes with those red locks. Like, yeah. like they probably always do that. It's just you never look at a mailbox. Dude, like, I, exactly. I didn't Everything know where a been mailbox done for was years. around my apartment. There's exactly. one out right outside like, the door, and I never even noticed it. And, like, it's at the time of this recording, it's August. So I'm going to lock them up now? Is that the other point? Like, I just want you to get used to being no mailboxes. Like, if I'm going to spring a surprise on you so you don't know where to go put your mail – I'm doing it about two days or a day before the election, maybe the morning of. I'm not going to spring this up in August because hopefully, hopefully by November, your dumbass can figure out where to put the envelope by then. Hopefully. Maybe not. I'm just saying. So, again, yeah, it's like, guys, this stuff happens all the time. We just don't ever pay attention to it because it doesn't freaking matter. But I'm sure some people are screaming. Uh, maybe not many of our listeners, but maybe. I'm saying we get a somewhat diverse crowd. They're that 1% in Sierra Leone or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chris. Um, so, yeah, again, it's context. And those pictures have been out. Everybody knows it's about maintenance. They're never going to retract them. They're never going to tell a different story about it. It's going to be that, uh, you know, the evil orange man is whipping his herds into a frenzy with the post office now. So, uh, yeah. And this is just the beginning, kids. Every week's going to get crazier. So, what well, well, add to it? I would trust FedEx more to deliver my ballot than I would the U.S. Post. Thousand percent. Yeah. Even UPS. Yeah. Like, that's the thing I always said about the post office. Like, you have a monopoly, and you couldn't stay afloat. That was always my example of like why you shouldn't trust the government to run shit. Like, they had the post office. There was nobody else competing against them. They couldn't make money. That's not a good sign. Just saying. I have a relative that's pretty high up in the post office, and um, they were telling me that uh, one of the highest revenues for the post office when you get past Amazon is the junk mail mailer up. Like, oh, I'm sure. That's of, the only thing you get in the freaking mail anymore. The percentage of domestic mail that is handled by the post office anymore is just minute. I mean, so like they rely on mailers to stay afloat. And, like, I honestly believe that the post office could probably be profitable, if, but it just seems to be a holding ground for uh, there's layers and layers of bureaucracy. And if you cut out about 30% of that, you probably have a pro profitable agency. No, absolutely. It's a bloated sea cow. Uh, like most of the things that are done that way, it's like, you know, it is what it is, man. It's, it's a prime example of. When it's ran by the government, I'm just saying, like, look at would it. You, cut so it would half, you guys, it'd probably still be about it right. You guys would say that every piece of mail that goes out, the taxpayer subsidizes the cost of that. No, that package, don't, right? Well, I don't know what the break even is now. It's a stamp 50 cents, 52, 55. Only old people know how I'm, much stamps are. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I don't think they even have a cost anymore. What's that? I don't know if they even have a cost. They don't even have a – I think you just get the forever stamps. They're right? all forever, but yeah. it just depends on when you buy them, how much they cost. Yeah. Um, 
But Joel, I do think we're subsidizing. There's no doubt about it. Like it's it's not been profitable for a long, long time. So wouldn't you think if something's still open and it's not profitable that we're subsidizing it? So junk mail pisses me off twice. I think there's like I think there should be some common ground. Like we don't need to maintain the level of service that the USPS currently provides. You could there are some people who in very rural places where FedEx probably doesn't go, right? No. Um, <laughs> no. no. UPS or FedEx, I, UPS will get it to you in Pretty place. much. They can get it to you almost yeah. in the United States. Maybe yeah, well, UPS, I mean, yeah, FedEx can cover pickup and delivery. Okay, get rid of USPS. You know, the, the thing about the mail is like, especially I grew up with a small rural post office. Like you didn't have a mailbox. You had the post office where you had your little right. mailbox on the wall. Yeah, and like so sometimes you wouldn't get your mail for a long time and it would still be there. Uh, that's the downfall of FedEx or whatever. It might be, maybe they'd have to hold it at the hub, uh, which could suck. Or it just sits out somewhere and maybe you put a FedEx box up. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, they run circles around them. Yeah. It's w weird in a place like New York City where they probably have hundreds of post offices. You don't even need them. We have plenty of other services with alternatives, but they're spending yeah. billions of dollars a year to have that just in Manhattan. You don't need that. It was a shifting marketplace too. Like you used to write letters all the time and all your mail, all your bills came in the mail and all your social security checks come in the mail and all that stuff. And we need more. It's direct deposit. E, um, when's the last time anybody wrote you a letter besides like a lawyer? Like seriously, like... <laughs> And they probably got FedEx, you know. So, granted, the market has shifted, uh, but they have not. And, you know, I think they were complaining about Amazon a while back, like using, like, you're the morons that negotiated the rate. You know, you can't blame Amazon for that. Like, you yeah, said Trump yes. just Trump just yeah, he tweeted was, that before we joined He was it. raking them, like, months ago, he raked them over the coals back to him. Like, dude, they agreed to the price. Like, unless they gave him the old, you know, Sonny Corleone pistol to the head offer you can't refuse. Um so again, it's just a classic example, I think, of oftentimes they could be more efficient. And I think that's what they, he was, the Postmaster General was trying to do is he was trying to put more of those costs off on Amazon, FedEx, UPS. Yeah. Because this online marketplace, especially with COVID, has really um, taken advantage of the weakness of the postal service. And those companies, I think what he'd like to do is make those companies stand alone. And uh, when I think about it, well, I have the, I get this question from my mom all the time. Sometimes like when I was away, I would just, if I wrote something, a mail or signed a contract, I go put it in FedEx and I said, uh -huh. he'll receive it. And she's like, why don't you just send this video's mail? It would have been cheaper. I was like, I wanted it to get there. I wanted yeah. to, I don't trust the post office enough to know that it'll get there. I don't know what's going to happen, but with FedEx, the level of trust is there that it will arrive and UPS is my next choice. And then, well, I think if you got tracking like that with the post office, that would help. Yeah. You know, you almost, you know, here's a tracking number. I can track it. I get updates on my phone. I can look it up where it's at. That's a huge part of it. And I'll pay for that extra of knowing, you know, um, cause you used to be able to send registered mail, but you still didn't really know until like a week later when you got the receipt back that they'd signed for it, you know? So, uh, I, this, 
they didn't keep up with what was going on. And, and yeah, I'm sure Amazon, everybody's using them a lot more than before. But again, you apparently made a contract with them that you will provide the service at X. Now, when that contract's up, you can talk about renegotiating it or whatever, but somebody made a shitty deal, apparently. Um, you would figure the more that Amazon's using them, the better off they'd be. I don't know how that's structured that, that they're losing money. So I'm not sure. Anyways, that all started with mailboxes and, and kids, rest assured, mailboxes will be there if that's what you want to use to put your ballot in, which I would not do anyways. I would take it to the post office, I think. Um, B, I think I'd rather just go sign, get my thumb purple like they do all across the world that I voted today and hand the son of a bocce in in person. But that's just me. So I'm sending uh, it in certified mail. There want, you go. I want Kate to sign okay. it. She got it. And FedEx that some bitch in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, state of Oregon, just send me your FedEx number. I'll send a, a <laughs> ballot in. Uh, so I, it's called that the semi-intellectual moment of the week. But uh, I think since inadvertently Mr. Joel picked the movie sort of by uh, peer pressure, that also gives him the right to the uh, far reaches word of the week. Joel, do you remember what you'd chosen as your word of the week? <laughs> yeah, the word is uh, bilge. B-I-L-G-E. L-G-E, yes. Bilge. I think I know what that is, yeah. Tell us. For in my country, where I am from, wherever that is at, that's the very bottom of the boat where all the water and oil and shit get to the bottom, and that's the bilge. Um, yeah. We had the bilge pump and bilge clean out, and it's nasty. Yeah. Uh, is that what you were thinking about? Yeah, that's it. I was, well, last week we were talking about it went down to Newport, and the bar had a bilge burger. So oh, up, outstanding. We looked up what a bilge was. It sounds pretty gross. I wouldn't be naming a burger after that. No, that's uh, I guess that was a premium burger. A little bit of everything on it. (laughs) In Ohio, they call it a garbage burger. Yeah, Um, lots of things ended up in the bilge. Let's put it that way. A lot of fluids. Mostly people that were jackasses that ended up going down there clean stuff. They could get that. Well, yeah, that was part of the deal. Is like you had to go clean it out because there was usually a minimum like shit floating around underneath there um so before you got to port you had to pump it out but like a lot of oil a lot of water uh oftentimes if you didn't want to run up like seven flights of stairs to go take a leak you just piss in the bilge um god knows what else went in there yeah so it's nasty yeah um it was also slang for you call it bilge water wine sometimes you would make uh alcoholic beverages somewhat like they do in a prison uh, and they call it bilge water wine because sometimes they stick it out in there and nobody's going to go looking for it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty much the nastiest place on a ship or even a boat because you know, get your bilge pump. But uh, yeah, interesting uh, tie back there, Mr. Joel. Yeah, I'm sure it's a tasty burger, but you should. Did you look it up after you ate it or before? Uh, I didn't eat it this oh, establishment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, did, didn't meet my lofty standards. Oh, outstanding! Yes, and that—that that was in Newport. Yeah, I drank there. Oh, the- oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, they had the the Rogue Brewery used to be a great place to go in Newport. That was a fun place. Yeah, we went there actually. Uh, oh yeah, old crustacean barley wine. Yeah, or arrogant bastard. Yeah, yep. some of their earlier 
Which I'm in a, a depression about. I cannot find in Lakeview anymore. What's that? Arrogant bastard. Oh, shite. I just wow. want me a uh, 40 of Arrogant bastard. Damn it. Well, I can't find Pendleton 19 down here, 1910 down here to save me arse. So I'm going to oh. have to make a road trip or something. Yeah. But, uh, well, outstanding word, Mr. Joel. Unexpected. Um, I thought it might have had a different New York connotation. So um, impressive indeed. Yeah. So I bet you can find. Uh, 60 different types of rum. Yes. Um, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there's that. But I'm not really a rum guy, so there we go. You will be. Uh, I will be. You'll take rum and like it, mister. Yeah. No, uh, it's been a prevalence of bourbon uh, lately as my host slash landlord slash friend uh, likes to have uh, tastings, as we call it. Yeah, so some people call it consumption or uh, imbibing. Uh, yeah, so becoming a more of a connoisseur of the bourbon trail. So uh, that takes us to our next topic about what we learned, not necessarily in this episode, but in the past week or two. And again, guys, don't put too much pressure on yourself. A lot of times you hurt your brain in this segment. So um, Richard's staring off wistfully. That's so funny. Richard's looking off to the left. Joel's looking off to the right. Like they're looking at each other like on the Brady Bunch when they look down at each other. So, uh, Rich, you want to kick this part off about uh, what you've learned? I did. just happened to me like less than an hour before this podcast. I had a – so I'll give you a little history on the real estate office that I'm part of. It is, uh, we went back, figured it out. It started in 1973. So Outstanding. It's uh, another lady owned it before the lady that I knew that owned it um, for most of my life uh, for about seven years. But uh, her name is Virginia Vernon, and she came in, oh, yeah. in with the office anymore. She's been retired for about six months now, hence I had a space. Um, but she, uh, as a child growing up, I would see the high country realty ads in the Western livestock journal property management. Mm -hmm. thing. And uh, while I had lots of other um, opportunities, probably with more prestigious type of uh, real estate, better networks, uh, better listings and everything. Um, the, the opportunity to come back to a real estate agency that I followed and looked up to as a kid was just too, it was, the romance of it all is too much to pass Yeah, up. some nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. So in Lakeview, we tend to uh, even give our elders shit. As she was walking out the door, she said, uh, well, I don't know anything about uh, real estate anymore. She's in her, I think she's late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, so absolutely. Really and I yelled from my office. I said, go pedal your bullshit somewhere else, Virginia. <laughs> 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 so she came back and uh schooled me up on uh um some real estate making connections sales contacts which i i always find that in sales when you have somebody that has been in a sales position and been successful like she has for 50 years that you should just shut up and listen and she brought up something that's really interesting and it sort of ties into the postal office, but she said, uh, you need to send a uh, letter to everybody that you can think of and tell them that you're in this new position 
and uh, you want to help them out, come by and visit you. And mm-hmm. it never, we are so digitized in this day and age that it never dawned on me. And I know mentally in my head that that probably has the most impact of anything that you can do in sales. But I never thought of it until she sat down and talked to me about it. So that's a tremendous point. Yeah. Yes. So I was so thankful that she spent the time uh, to uh, school me up a little bit for being a smart ass, which also happens in like you, you get. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to get my comeuppance today, um, get schooled in the art of sales and uh, just makes me look forward to this uh, real estate adventure more and more. So, so will you be employing the ancient tactics of a mail merge? Yes. In your letter writing? Yes, very well. I, I, will, be, I will be utilizing the, uh, our uh, taxpayer-supported postal system. A run. <laughs> yes. You got, business, you got your fancy business cards yet? Oh, yeah. Um, darn it. Oh, Falcon. Richard. You got to learn. You should be able to step out of the shower and hand somebody a business card. I know. She gave me that lecture too. Mine are, so this is my old business card. So the new one, oh, nice. the new one has two horses hobbled standing up in a green pasture. So, yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. What do you say? Do you know the address on your house is your postal address? Does the post office own your address or is the post or does it just, the city on your address and the post office just uses that as a system to know who to deliver to. Mm-hmm. Who started that system? Because I'm sure there was addresses before. Well, I don't know. I don't know when the USPS started. So that's a that. freaking chicken egg right there, isn't it? I think that like if there's no buddy delivering mail to your house, why would you need an address besides Steve yeah. going to come find you? Damn it. That's yeah. a great question, Joel. Man. <laughs> it was worth it. All that silence and brooding down there was worth that question alone. I think Which we need to get first? Richard's cousin on the line. Here's here's my understanding of how it goes. The and it's an interesting full circle. The addresses were for the private fire companies. Mm-hmm. It cannot be a public service, and so you would get insurance with a company in your neighborhood, and then they would give you the address, and then it just became a way to mail. So then the post office sort of took over the addresses and formalized it. And then when 911 system was created, they reissued a bunch of addresses to rural places that had PO box numbers, therefore taking it over into the public services domain. So no longer does the post office create the addresses, the 911 system creates addresses. All right. Because for the longest time, we didn't have an address. We had a PO box, yeah. and people would say, "No, you need a you need a they call it a physical address." And I'm like, "Look, dude, there's not even a freaking road sign up. I can tell you, come into town and take the first left by the church, and go up three driveways and hang a left. That's where I freaking live. I get my mail at the store slash post office, box two seventeen. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So that's when the UPS guy was your best friend because you would just put the PO box." And he would bring it to your house because he knew where you lived. <laughs> just, yeah. So, Aaron's point there, Richard. I like how you just like ninja that shit out like you knew exactly what you were talking about. And we just believed yeah. it all the hell. So, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I just like the, 
that really sold it and you were very sincere and affirm about it. So I'm going to buy it all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. To tell the truth, you'd be winning right now. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Joel, what have you learned? Gosh. Um, uh, no, no pressure. Uh, no pressure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a hard thing to follow. That was, was a good week for Richard there. Um, yeah. I don't know. I learned like some more about swimming pool care how to turn off the pumps and the heaters and what order and how to handle chlorine pucks <laughs> uh, that's important yeah you gotta well, get the, the old shaka yeah well you know what I just, you know what i just flashed to is the guy at caddyshack that bill murray plays for that's exactly what i pictured yeah, I that's why i was laughing so hard you know you know manganese you know a lot of guys don't even know what that is yeah you know like this Northern California Centimia and Crested Crested Fetterbins. Yeah, you know, it's uh, played 36 holes, come home and get stoned, but Jesus. Yeah. So why we connected that with the pool, except for the time the kid had the baby roots in the pool. But yeah. Um, just saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, Scraps, what are you making an appearance back there? Hello, Super Ham. Scraps, like, when are you going to my doghouse? Like, hey, when are you going to shut up and go to bed, you schmuck? Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious so pool care outstanding yes yeah, yeah, pool care which is important i mean you know big daddy entrusts you with the hacienda uh, you should come back as good or better than when he left it yeah well tell you what those uh chlorine things are intimidating got big warning labels like says like don't let this touch your skin if it touches your adjust. skin this is what you should do immediately yeah, well, like, it's kind of like a somebody, fight club. You know, someone already touched my yeah. skin. And I was like, what's happening to my skin? You may already be dead. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. It you might wake up in the morning completely naked. Just no skin. Yeah. <laughs> don't touch your face. Yeah. So. Yeah, after you touch this and jump into a pool, you'll, you'll probably drown. You, <laughs> you'll, you'll turn you'll opaque. Sink. You'll sink. I like, I like using the word sink instead of drown. Drowned, down, drowned. Somebody died. Yeah, he just, he just sunk. He sunk. Did he sink? You have sunken into the sink. Yes. Uh, so, what have I learned? Uh, I've learned that I learned a lot more about Florida than I realized already when I was talking to you guys about the different grasses and things of this, that, and the other. So, uh, apparently, my subconscious has been hard at work. Uh, I don't even need like the map to get to work anymore. And there's like three or four different routes. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So I've learned that I adapt quickly to a new area, whether I want to admit it or not. So I also learned that it's good to see a holes, even though Mr. Rawls is chasing bales. So uh, that brings us to reader mail. Now we had a little hiatus and I did not collect all of it, but I chose to pick some of the gems that were sent my direction uh, during our brief time away, uh, this is from Blaine in Oregon. Hey, where have you a-holes been? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Um, we had Rich in Minnesota said, damn, I didn't think I would miss you assholes. Apparently, uh, we should have just named our podcast Those Assholes. That would have been a lot better. Um, the most touching one was from Amy in Oregon. Hey, something is missing in my life, which... Uh, <laughs> prompted me to respond in a rather inappropriate manner to which I was told to go pound sand. So um, I will continue to collect some more of these back up. I didn't want to, 
you know, shoot the whole moon, blow the wad first time back uh, as far as hosting duty. So um, I thought that was quite entertaining. But, yes, we were missed, and we are a-holes, apparently. Uh, that seems to be the universal agreement. And I really can't argue that, uh, even with this, the three of us here. So No hate mail from the last misguided episode? No, actually, uh, some thumbs up. <laughs> some thumbs up and uh, and uh, that was a great episode, by the way, too. It was fun it was to watch like, that. I'd never it was like a pass it a Hail Mary, and I'm still not sure if it landed or not. <laughs> Going in fourth and long, this, this can tie the game. <laughs> Richard's coming in off the bench. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was very um, organic, especially when you guys are. It was funny. You're just getting ready to wrap up. Rawls finally comes on, and you guys tear down the road again, which we're very famous for doing. It like, okay, one last little wrap-up. 50 minutes later, we're like, okay, well, that that's, uh, topic's been turned into jerky. So, uh, no, I think it was great. Had some, um, I'll try to get some of that feedback, too, but everybody was like, hey, uh, if you guys didn't – if you didn't know the passwords, Mike, I think they'd be all right without you. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, they'd be pretty happy. So, um, we will continue to get the reader mail. Um, I will say now before we go to the final segment of best thing of the week, um, next episode is going to be, believe it or not, according to my math, and it is questionable times. As far as I can tell and what we're going to roll with, though, next episode will be our 20th episode, which when you look at this gang and consider what we do and where we are, that's freaking milestone. So I'm thinking the next episode is going to be our – wild wild country discussion where we have some special guests on finally get that the proper due hopefully get that um scheduled out here pretty quick but that's the plan is the 20th movie? say again we have your backup movie backup movie uh we certainly could if you have one in mind i hope we get this all put together but i think that's a smart move mr brad bray i appreciate your faith in us yet realism so uh i don't even know whose turn it is Lost track. Oh, I think we lost track of that one. We can reset. Uh, yeah, but since you brought it up, if you wanna, if you wanna float something out there, we'll certainly consider it as a group. And uh, if not, uh, I I yeah. have I have an urge to discuss with this group Vias for Vendetta before election season. Oh, interesting. I've Remember, never seen that. V is for Vendetta. I saw it a long time ago. Um, Obviously, not that long ago. It's not that old, but uh, it's pretty old. I think it, I don't know. Is it the 90s? Yeah, 90s. Oh. It'd be like two, 2003. What the hell? In uh, the America, V for Vendetta was released on March 17th, 2006. Well, there we oh, go. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was disturbing. Who answered that? Well, my phone's plugged into my computer, and I asked the... Apparently. Yeah. I nearly shite me trousers when I heard that voice come ripping through my headphones. I was like, sweet Lord, they are listening. Yeah. Um, yes. So, the hope is Wild Wild Country backup movie is V for Vendetta. We've also got some other special guests lined out. Uh, I'll say his name. Uh, I'll just say that um, some of the Roundup Court directors uh, have offered to come on the podcast as well for Pendleton Roundup. I think we could have some some good times with that. I uh, went to college with several of them, so we might have some crossovers between college stories and, and some of the recent decisions and thoughts made uh, around the Pendleton Roundup and its suspension for this year. So, which reminds me again, folks, 
you can go attend the Lake County Roundup Labor Day weekend in Lakeview, Oregon. Tickets are on sale now. Tell them Brad Burr sent you. Offer code MRJR will get you absolutely nothing but our admiration. So, um, yes, we hope to have special guests next week. And backup movies, V is for Vendetta. So put that in your pipe and smoke it for the, the next time if we don't get everybody herded up or after that. Yeah. I, wanna, I, want you, I want you to know how many people in my LinkedIn network are all about Wild Wild Country. And I, I oh, outstanding. posted a little snippet from the show talking about it. And uh, there are people that are watching it based on that. So generate a lot of interest, Joel. You, uh, that's probably, that was, uh, that was pivotal. Pivotal uh, observation there, Joel. One Stumbled of our finer Mr. Joel moments. Yeah. Hey, doesn't matter how you get there. Like Pops is, Pops is famous for saying, there's no diagram on a golf scorecard, Micah. Just the score. So, you know. Doesn't matter how you got there, just matters that you did. So enjoy that. So, um, with that being said, we're almost to the point where we wrap this son of a bocce up and, and wander away. Unless anybody have any uh, wrapping up statements or pontifications or observations or something that just dying to get out right now. Joel, you're still stroking that beard like it's got cured for cancer. Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, no, I, I don't have anything to add. Well, guys, we'll get this. Uh, this will be up in all the usual places, all your podcast spots that you're subscribed to already. You probably get that notification when you're driving down the road. It says, ding, congratulations. Your latest episode is up. And please make sure to share this episode and all other ones. You can go back to the archives and figure out how we got to where we're at today. And like, really? 19 episodes from these eight holes? That's a miracle unto itself. So we're on YouTube. We're on all the outlets for your podcast. So go there, check us out, share us with your friends. Share us with your enemies. Share us with your loved ones and the cherished times you might have in the future. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate your comments. Again, if you've got questions or comments, you can get us at farreachespodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to any of us on the many social media platforms, which seems to be the preferred method. Uh, you can leave comments on the YouTube channel, uh, comments everywhere else too. So we do check those. Uh, sometimes there's a couple week lag to get them on the show and thank you about them, but that's just because I'm a slacker. So we can't thank you enough for your listening and your questions. Uh, like I, said, I think I think we need to reinforce that we do do dating advice. So send it in and we'll pull it out. And, and guess what? If you don't like it, well, that's your fault for touching us to begin with. So until then, until next time, we can't thank you enough for being part of the Reacher group, Far Reaches podcast. For all of us Reachers here, we say thanks a lot. And we will see you soon. Thank you much.